Lamb of God that takes my place. You know that we're coming up to Easter when people begin to talk about the cross. Talk about what Jesus Christ has done. Even see it in movies like we saw last night. Because the central tenet of our faith, the fact that Jesus died and rose again and ascended up into heaven, is something that you have opportunities to talk about in this next few weeks because everything is pointed to Christ and the Christian church as we move up to Easter. That's why we want to take the opportunity in the next few weeks to talk about the Lamb of God. What does it really mean that Jesus went to the cross? Why did he have to go to the cross? What was the purpose in that? And as we look at the Word of God starting from the beginning all the way up through the New Testament, I think you'll see that the plan and purpose of God is a marvelous plan. What was set in motion to redeem us, to make us his own. It's just a plan that sometimes uh, you, you can't even comprehend. The Apostle Paul said the cross would always be either a stumbling block or foolishness. He said to the Jews it would be a stumbling block because they really couldn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. To the Greeks, it would just seem like foolishness. You know, who, this whole concept of, of lambs and blood and sacrifice was just beyond them. And the plan and purposes of God are never something we can grasp in our natural minds. But the Holy Spirit leads us to an understanding of what God is up to. And once you grasp it, boy, does it make a difference in your life. So today we want to begin with how the story begins. Why sacrifice, blood, why Jesus even needed to go to the cross in the first place. And it all begins at the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, with the story of Adam and Eve. Because if you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve were created in a world that God called good. In other words, it was the world as he created it to be. Everything was the way he wanted it to be. Because in his love and in his care and his compassion, he wanted communion with his creation. And he made it possible for that to happen by giving us everything that we needed. He even made a special garden for them a place where they could call home, a place where eventually they would be able to raise their families. He brought Adam and Eve together as a perfect match so that neither one of them would be alone. They were different than the animals, different than the rest of the creation. But they were there to tend the garden, to watch over the creation, to extend God's rule. And in doing that, everything that they needed was given to them. It was a good life. It was a happy life. The provisions of God were more than they could really understand. God gave them everything. But just to remind them that they were in fact the creation and not the creator, he gave them one restriction. He said, you can have everything here. You can eat anything that's in the garden. You are free to roam around, do whatever you want. But just one thing I'm asking of you, one thing I'm telling you not to do. There's this tree here. We call it the 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, that tree I don't want you to eat. You can have all the fruit and the rest of the trees, but leave that tree alone to signify that you understand that I am God. I've created everything for you, but you are the creation. As long as they were in obedience, they had life, and life abundantly. But he told them, if you disobey, death is going to come into the picture. Instead of eternal life, there's going to be a point when your life ends. And death is going to change everything because it's going to make your whole reason for living very, very different. They started off well, but it didn't take them long to figure out that this one restriction was really more than they wanted to have. So in Genesis 3, it begins the story. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals that the Lord God had, called, had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation. Satan came in the form of the servant to test him. And what was his testing about? He was going to put God's word to the test. He began, did God really say he began to put a seed of doubt in their minds that what God had said might not really be the way it is or that saying that everything they had was great might not actually be the truth and so Satan got them to stop looking at all of the wonderful things they had all of the many trees in the garden that provided the blessing, all the blessings they endured, the relationship they had with the animals and God's creation. He took their focus off all the good things and put their focus on the one restriction. Didn't he say you can't touch that tree? Leave that tree. First he started with all the trees. You can't eat anything. Well, Eve knew that wasn't right. You know, they could eat anything. It was just that one. But she had been awakened to the possibility that maybe God wasn't telling them the whole story. And when that doubt began to creep into her mind, she began to think things could be different than the way they are right now. And isn't that just the first temptation that comes to all of us? We live in a culture today that prides itself on questioning God. Did God say? Who cares what God said? And we just start in the beginning teaching our kids to be questioners, to never accept anything anybody tells you. We consider the intelligent person to be the one who will question everything. Don't believe anything anybody tells you. You know, put it all to the test. Even God's word gets put to the test. Because we can nitpick it. We can find things. I don't know that that's what God said. And pretty soon that doubt is there. 
How do you know God's way is the best way? How do you know there, there maybe isn't a better way to do it? And once you begin to think that way, once you begin to think that God's way isn't the best way, you're going to run into trouble. When you're born and raised in the church, sooner or later that question comes to you because you're raised to accept everything that God has said is truth. But at some point in your life, someone begins to sow that seed of doubt in you. How do you know that's the right way? How do you know that's really the truth? And once that doubt is there, you can often begin a quest that will take you in the wrong direction. And it might be a while before you come back to the right one. Eve began to listen. And then Satan just didn't sow the seeds of doubt. He actually called God a liar. He said, you're not going to die. Don't worry about that. He said, God had said they would die. He goes, that's not going to happen. Look, God doesn't, that's not even true. God didn't tell you the truth. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God just wants to be in control. God is just like that. He, he made you so he could control you. And he doesn't want you to have any pleasure in life. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He just wants to play God all the time. And so again, you begin to think, maybe it could be better a different way. Maybe, maybe what I'm doing right now isn't, isn't right. And again, she thought, well, maybe God didn't tell her the truth. Maybe there is that possibility there they're not going to die. Maybe God doesn't always tell it exactly the way it is. And how often do we think today that maybe God's word isn't always true? Because we love to read through the word of God and find the parts we're sure are not true. Well, God said, you know, he said that, you know, he's going to bless me all the days of my life. And I'll never be in need because, you know, the righteous are never forsaken and they're never out begging for bread. Well, I was begging for bread last week. And so that part's not true. And you begin to sow doubts in other people. And, you know, God said that he's going to heal us, that healing's available. And, you know, I've been praying for healing and I'm still not healed. So I don't think God's word is really all that reliable. It's not really all that true. I thought I'd be more prosperous by now. We have all these ideas of what we think we want. And when God doesn't give it to us exactly the way we think it ought to be, we're not sure he's telling us the truth. Why do I have to go to the Bible, the word of God? Are you really saying that's the only place you can find truth? Surely there's a whole another dimension to it. We can discuss all kinds of things and come to the knowledge of the truth. But is God really the only source of truth? He got her to doubt that God really had her best interest in mind. Got her to doubt that death would even enter the picture, that God wasn't even telling the truth. But really Satan's greatest temptation came at the end. He said, you can be God. Doesn't that always sound good? You can run your own life. You don't need anybody else telling you what to do. You don't need anybody else giving you rules and regulations. You know what you want. You know what you need. You know what you like. 
you can run your own life. Because if there's one thing we don't like to be told, it's the idea that we are the creation and not the creator. We so want to be the creator that we will make up all kinds of lies to ourselves in order to prove it true. So you'll hear all kinds of teaching today. You just say what you want because your words have power. And you can speak anything into existence. Just try that sometime. You know, you'll find very little can you actually speak into existence. You're not the creator. But boy, it sounds good to think you can run your own life. To make your own decisions. To not have any rules and regulations. It's our desire to be independent of God. We just want our own life our own way. And we're not content with the world the way it is. They had everything. But as Satan began to sow those seeds of doubt, they began to envision a world different than the one that God created. And this would be a world where they were in charge instead of God. And so they could do better than God, even though they really had no clue what that even meant. But they fell. They yielded to the temptation, and they took the fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to touch. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And all went on. They sinned. They disobeyed God's law. And that's fundamentally the definition of sin. When God says not to do something, and you just go ahead and do it anyway. And so they took the fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat, and they ate it anyway. They were unfaithful to God. They were disobedient to his word. They were in rebellion. They wanted to do it their way. But God had told them, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And the minute they took that fruit, immediately something died in them. Something changed. It says their eyes were open and suddenly they recognized the fact that they were naked. They had not realized that before. Their relationship had changed. Something had happened. That spirit in them that had a relationship with their creator 
was suddenly broken and that spirit died. Their relationship was changed, not only with God, with each other. And in a moment of time, they realized something had happened. But they weren't really sure what it was or how to change it. But they were now alienated from their creator. They were not in the same fellowship with him. Something had happened when sin stepped into the world. And that relationship they had died. And now instead of being anxious to be in God's presence, they didn't want to be there at all. And they knew something had happened. They knew they had a problem. So they tried to fix it. Because they knew that if they were going to be in charge and they messed things up, there had to be a way to fix the problem. And so immediately they got some fig leaves together and they sewed them together to try to hide their nakedness because they were sure they could solve the problem by doing that. They made the fig leaves to cover themselves, but the problem was they couldn't change what had happened on the inside. The fig leaves just couldn't hide the fundamental problem or change the fundamental problem. They were ashamed of what they did. Guilt had set in. Their relationship was broken. And all the fig leaves in the world weren't going to fix it because they didn't know how to fix it. They didn't know what needed to be done in order to reestablish the relationship they had. They just knew that they were naked. They just knew that they had been exposed. Their sin was out there for everybody to see. And no matter how much they tried to cover it, no matter how much they tried to pretend everything was okay, everything was not okay. Something was missing and they couldn't get it back. See, that's what sin does. It alienates you from God. And the minute you are alienated from God and you're not in the relationship you ought to be in, something inside of you dies. Something inside of you isn't the way it ought to be. And no matter what you try to do, you can't fix what's wrong with you by yourself. But we have a whole culture now that's putting fig leaves on everything. Because we know we have problems, but we're going to fix them ourselves. And so we're just sowing fig leaves right and left on every problem we have, but are still unable to actually fix the problem. Go to a bookstore or Kindle or anywhere they're selling books and just look at the number of books you can buy about self-improvement, self-help, knowing yourself, being the best you can be, on and on and on. There's so many, you don't even know where to start. You don't even know which one to read. Because we have so much information to get to know ourselves and fix ourselves and help ourselves uh, that you could just spend the rest of your life just reading all those books. But they're all just fig leaves. They're not going to change what is fundamentally wrong with you because they're not really getting to the root of the problem. But boy, we think we can fix it ourselves. So if you're depressed, just go get one of those pills they keep putting on TV and you'll be fine. Skip that part where they talk about all the side effects. Just take the pill. 
you know, and, and then it'll be away and you'll be fine. You can fix that. But somehow it doesn't work. You got whole professions of counseling and psychiatrists and psychologists to, to go and talk to these people to, to fix what's fundamentally missing inside. But all the talk, all the help, so often really doesn't make a lot of difference because it doesn't really get to what is fundamentally wrong with us and what the problem is. We're in election year. There's tons of people that think if you just elect the right person, we're going to fix everything. I don't know how many elections we can have before you figure that's not really right. The government is not going to fix anything. Why do you think we're sending water to Flint? You know, there's just things wrong that we cannot fix ourselves because something inside of us has died because of the sin that is in our lives. And the more we sin, the problem is, the greater the alienation. The more God is out of the picture, the more despair sets in. And we can see it everywhere in our culture, but nobody really wants to get to the root of the problem. I don't think you can even pick up the paper anymore and start to read it and not find a mass shooting somewhere. Somewhere, we don't kill people we're mad at anymore. We just kill anybody for any reason. Mow down a dozen people at the same time. Because when you're alienated from God, you are alienated from the source of life And the lives of other people just become nothing to you. There's no care. There's no interest. The immorality in our society has disconnected people from one another in such a way that we don't even know how to connect anymore. Sexual immorality was always supposed to bring us together, but instead it's done the opposite. Confused us so much. We can't stay married. We can't be happy. Pornography is on the rise. People are so confused they don't even know if they're male or female anymore. Because when sin begins to grow, the alienation we have from our creator just multiplies. And as we get more and more alienated from the one who created us, the more we are unable to connect to each other the more we are unable to show what love is really all about and real care. Adam and Eve realized that something had changed. They tried to fix it by themselves, by sewing fig leaves together. But you know that didn't work because when God began to come down at night like he always did, this time... Instead of going out to have a conversation with him, they ran away and they tried to hide. Because sin doesn't want to be in God's presence. Sin doesn't want to hear from God. And they thought they could hide from God and it wouldn't make a difference. But God could see right through their fig leaves. You don't actually hide from God. And so he began to question them because he knew what they'd done. He didn't question them because he was unaware. He wanted to see what they would say. But they thought if they hid enough, maybe God would somehow pass by, go back up into heaven, and they could regroup for another day. We all think we can hide from God. 
It's kind of a dumb idea, but we all have it anyway. In fact, our society is so good about hiding from God that we deny he even exists. And we're sure that if, if we don't believe in him, that that somehow means he's not there. So the people that want to believe in God can believe in God. But the people that don't want to believe in God don't have to believe in God. But there's a problem with that theory. See, if God exists, he exists for everybody, not just the people that believe in him. And not believing doesn't make God go away. Because God's existence is not dependent on our opinions or ideas. God either exists or he doesn't exist. It's one or the other. He doesn't half exist or just exist in some areas. He's either there or he's not. And the truth is, he's there. And if you think you can hide from that fact, you're wrong because he sees everything. He knows everything you've done. Uh, all of the ways you want to pretend that you're doing all right, God knows if you're all right or not. And he knows what's fundamentally wrong with you, and he knows how to fix it. When confronted, Adam and Eve couldn't admit what they needed, couldn't admit that somehow something had changed. They knew they were wrong. They knew that they had messed up. But they somehow didn't know how to get back. And so when God began to question them, they didn't admit what they did wrong. They just simply passed the buck. They blamed each other. Adam said, well, it's Eve. You know, you gave her to me, and this is what she did to me. And then Eve, well, the serpent talked to me, and he got me confused, and then I couldn't think straight anymore, and everybody's passing the buck on to everybody else. Because not only did their relationship with God change, their relationship with each other changed. Instead of being the team, the two together, working in the garden uh, in peace and harmony and everything being good, suddenly they were at odds with each other. Do you really think Eve could ever trust Adam again the same way, knowing that he had just thrown her under the bus with God? He blamed her. I don't think she appreciated that. And then Eve thought she would do better, but she was wrong in her decision. And do you think Adam would ever want to listen to her decisions again? Because if she made such a bad decision that time, what's the guarantee she's ever going to make another good one? What kind of conversations do you think Adam and Eve had after they got put out of the garden? You should be able to know the conversations because we've all had them if you've been married at all. You know, the minute there's a problem, well, you know, you never have made a good decision. And, oh, you never did support me. And, you know, you go right back to the garden. You go right back to the fundamental problem of blaming each other. The great discussions, which are really arguments, because we still want to pass the blame. But the problem was their relationship with each other had changed. And that couldn't really be fixed either. Because when we're alienated from God, our relationship with other people changes too. And the more we are alienated from God, the more disconnected we are to other people. And again, you can see that in our society. 
Why do you think there's so many killings right now? It's because when you disconnect from your creator, you're disconnected from the life of other people. And you don't care about them. You don't care about what they think or what they want. It's all about you and what you want. And so in your anger, you take it out on other people because those people mean nothing to you. It's all about you and what you want. It's all about what other people can do for me in the area of immorality. We see it every time. We see it disintegrating. But we can't fix it. See, when it comes to violence, it doesn't matter if you want more guns or fewer guns. Gun control is not the issue. Sin is the issue. We're disconnected from our creator. We have no empathy for one another. And the further we move away from God, the greater that empathy grows, the lack of empathy. Until now we're raising a generation that's so lost they can't even find their way. They don't feel loved by anyone or anything. They see no purpose in life. They don't know where they're going because all life is now is a struggle. A struggle with no purpose, a struggle with no plan. They paid the price for their sin. They were put out of the garden. And now instead of life becoming purposeful and easy and everything they wanted, they found instead that it was very different. For Adam, he found out he would have to work hard now. He wouldn't be able to control things the way he had. He would work all his life just to eat. And then in the end, what would happen? He would die. He would just go back to the dust from what he was created. Eve, instead of being joyous now and having children, it would be difficult. It would often bring death. It would bring a lot of pain. And now she'd be ruled by her husband. Even the earth didn't escape God's judgment. As now, instead of bringing forth everything they needed, it would bring forth a lot of what they didn't need. The weeds, the thorns, the decay, the difficulty to produce anything. And they left the garden because death was now a certainty. God couldn't keep them in the garden anymore because sin had ruined everything. And no matter what they did, they couldn't have eternal life now. They had messed things up. Sin had entered the picture. Death had come into the picture. And there was no way to fix it. Their bodies were going to die. They would eventually go to the ground. They would decay. Because that could not be reversed. Nothing that they could say or do could change it. All the fig leaves in the world would not make it different. They had sinned and they had changed the relationship that they had with God. But before they left that garden, there was hope. Because God would show them in a great picture how worthless their fig leaves were, but the grace he would extend to him in giving them a covering that would satisfy God. And Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. See, their own righteousness, their own idea of how to cover their sin wasn't going to work. 
how to cover sin was what God would decide. He's the only one that could determine what would satisfy his wrath and what would make it possible for them to even keep going and somewhat reestablish that relationship that they had broken. He would provide the necessary covering for their sin, for their nakedness, and he alone would determine what it would be. And so, because they brought death into the world and they deserved to die at that moment, God gave them hope by not killing them right that second. But unfortunately, sin required someone or something to die. And so God killed an animal instead of them. Something had to die in their stead. Blood had to be shed to take away their sin. It really doesn't tell us what the animal was that died, but so often what they did slay was a lamb that we can probably assume it would be a lamb, though not be dogmatic. But we do know that something had to die because the only way they could be covered with skins is to put an animal to death. Something died in their stead. I try to imagine what they felt watching God kill that animal. Because they had been entrusted to take care of the animals. They had named the animals. They knew who they all were. Uh, these probably were animals they actually were taking care of. They loved the animals. They, they had a relationship with them as well. And now here is their first encounter with death. And the one that they were entrusted to take care of suddenly is slain in their place so that their skin, sin could be covered and the shame of their nakedness could stand before God. And it would be the shedding of an animal's blood that would reestablish the relationship that man had with God throughout the entire Old Testament. Because without the shedding of blood, there simply is no remission of sin. Their first offspring, Abel, would understand that. And when he brought his sacrifice and slayed the lamb, it was accepted. Cain didn't want to do it that way and wouldn't bring a blood sacrifice. And it was rejected because it's God's way, not our way. Why it had to be blood, that's the question we'll ask God someday. But that was the payment. The life is in the blood and to reverse the curse of death, had blood had to be spilled. And so the animal was sacrificed so that they could be in better standing with God. The blood of that animal didn't really take away their sin in its entirety, but it covered it enough that they could regain some of that relationship, though that relationship would never be the same because of what the sin did. They could not get back to that garden. They could not get back to the perfection they had because sin would then continue its course from one generation to the next. But it wasn't just the sacrifice that allowed them to leave the garden in better relationship. 
There was also a promise that was given at that time. See, when they, when, to get out of the garden in, in any kind of relationship with God, their sin had to be atoned for. That's the word atonement, that, that something had to die in our stead in order to take care of sin. These animals would, would be there. But a promise was also given in Genesis 3.15. When God is talking to Satan through the serpent, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that's the first instance in the Bible of the promise of a coming redeemer. That there would be someone who would really handle the sin question and remove it entirely. Satan had thought Eve would be his ally. He had convinced her they were going to be a team. But now that was not going to happen. Enmity was going to be put between her and him. She realized her mistake. And through her offspring, through her children, one of them would eventually come that would take away Satan's power, would crush his head. And we know that offspring, many generations later, would be Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ became the sacrifice that would take away our sins and reestablish the relationship that God always wanted with us because now sin could actually be removed. We could be given the righteousness of God. And when you do it his way, it's just so much better. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote it this way. He says, For since death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The blood of animals was the atonement that covered sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ was the atonement that removed sin. And we can stand in the righteousness of God because he was willing to go to the cross and die for us. See, he also died in our stead because sin requires the shedding of blood in order to have it removed. And sin still alienates us from God today as much as it has ever alienated us in the past. You have to restore the relationship in order to fix the problem. When you're not in relationship with God, there is just something fundamentally missing in your life. You might not be able to articulate it. You don't really know what it is. You just know you're not in the place you want to be. Things just aren't working out the way that you want them to work out. You just feel like life is not all that it could be, that you're falling short somehow, that You know, there's got to be more to life than where you are. That's because something is fundamentally missing if sin is in the picture. And the only way that can be remedied is through God's remedy. You can't fix it with your own fig leaves. You can't fix it by your own ideas. There's not enough self-help classes in the world to fix what is fundamentally wrong with mankind. Because what is fundamentally wrong is we're sinners. We are alienated from God and we need that relationship reestablished 
And the only way to fix it is through Jesus Christ. His blood is the answer. Amen. So let's stand as we close our meeting today. Knowing that life is in the blood, that first sacrifice, that one for Adam and Eve would set the pattern that would culminate in Jesus going to the cross. And as we close with a song this morning, if you need to talk to the Lord and reestablish your relationship, maybe you had a good one in the past, but somehow if you've gotten off track, sin's back in the picture, maybe you never had a relationship to start with, or you just feel something's fundamentally missing in your relationship, just come on down to the altar. We'd love to pray with you this morning. We'd love to help you find that place in the arms of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save us. He went to the cross to save us. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to make your life complete and reestablish that broken relationship. And we can only do it when we do it his way through his sacrifice, because he's the Lamb of God.